Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Mary served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Good morning. Great to see you all here this morning. We have been engaged for the last several weeks in a series that we've called Beautiful Feet. Uh, And it comes from a passage where Paul uh, encourages Christians and Jesus followers to be engaged in the greatest mission the world has ever known. Uh, That's the mission of proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to all who will hear so that all may know. And he says that the people who do that have beautiful feet. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring Good news. So to understand what it means to have beautiful feet, we have looked over the last several weeks at different characters from the Bible who have engaged in that mission. And we've tried to say, what can we learn from these individuals that we could apply to our lives so that people might say that we have beautiful feet without ever even going to have a pedicure? So I'm saving you money here through this sermon series about beautiful feet. But we've looked at several people in the New Testament, and uh, I want to just take just a moment and kind of review who we've considered so far, because the cast list is getting pretty long. We, we talked about Peter and Andrew and James and John, and we, we said that when Jesus called them and said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men, that their feet were beautiful because they were willing to follow Jesus and they were willing to engage in that mission. That we as believers begin by following after Christ, by ourselves seeking to become like him, to walk like he walked. We also talked about four people whose names aren't recorded in the scripture, but their actions have been preserved for centuries. And that's these four nameless people who carried their friend, their paralyzed friend to Jesus. And when they couldn't get their paralyzed friend to him, they went up on the roof and dug a hole through the roof. They were willing to overcome obstacles in order to get somebody to the feet of the one they knew could bring healing to him. And then we looked at the life of Philip the evangelist. And we saw how Philip was willing to be distracted by a divine mission. That he was willing to go out of his way to share the gospel with a complete and total stranger. And how his willingness to engage in the divine distractions of life opened up an entire nation to the message of the gospel. As this Ethiopian eunuch went back home and shared the gospel message with all the people of Ethiopia. And I began to pray for you to have divine distractions And uh, many of you have said you've had uh, enough divine distractions and have asked me to stop praying. But but we continue to to seek after, where is the Lord leading me? What is God doing in the lives of people around me? And how might I just offer a word of hope in a moment, in that divine moment where I can be able to speak to somebody and, and offer them hope? And then we looked at Philip the Apostle. Somebody who didn't even really know everything there was to know about the gospel, who who was himself a new follower and yet was willing to meet his friend Nathaniel where he was 
and, and was willing to say, just come with me and see and walk with Nathaniel back to Jesus. And then last week we looked at the story of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. And we saw how our willingness to share our story, that our shame can become God's glory when we're willing to share our story. How her, her story of encountering Jesus impacted her entire village and, and, changed, and changed their lives. And so today we're looking at the story that Cherie read for us just a moment ago, the story of Mary. It's a familiar story for many of us. If you've been in church any length of time, you've probably heard this story before. But you know, as I read this story over and over again, I came to the realization that that there are really two characters in this story that I think that we should consider. One is Mary, and the other is Judas. Two people who had followed the same teacher, had seen the same miracles, had heard all of the same truths spoken by Jesus, who were in the same room, they, were, they saw the same miracle as Lazarus had come back to life, and yet their response in worship could not have been more different. And we see in Mary somebody with beautiful feet, and we learn this truth, that beautiful feet worship at the feet of a beautiful Savior. That, That maybe we should consider the fact that our worship, our authentic worship, creates a powerful aroma that can draw people to Jesus. We often talk about the words we say. We talk about our actions and our acts of service. But do we consider that what we do here on Sunday morning, what happens all across the world as Christians gather together to worship, is itself a powerful witness of Jesus Christ. See, we, we can become distracted by less important issues, can't we? I mean, we all do this. Let's just be honest for a moment. We, we come to church and so many times we think it's about me. So, so whether I like the hymns that we sing or whether I think the sermon was inspiring or whether the sanctuary was too hot or too cold or whether the pews were too hard or whether anybody spoke to me or whether, you know, I mean, we find all these reasons and, and, and we make worship about ourselves. But when worship becomes about something bigger than you, when it becomes about something bigger than me, when it's focused on who it's really focused on, it is a powerful witness for everybody who would see and everybody who would experience it. That's what happened in this room. That's what happened in this little house as people gathered to worship. And Judas was there. And Peter was there. And John and James and all the disciples were there. But the one person whose story has survived is the one person who we have no recorded words from at all because her act of worship was so strong that 2,000 years later it's still a witness to the power of the gospel. So let's just compare for just a moment, moment if we can, the life of, of Judas and Mary in this particular I- I encounter. See, Judas had the proper title and the proper position. He was an apostle. He at some point was called by Jesus, just like Peter and Andrew and all the other disciples. And he said, Judas, come follow me. Now, we don't have it recorded in Scripture where that happened, but it must have happened because we've seen the same pattern with all the other disciples. And so at some point, Jesus had to look at Judas and say, Judas, come follow me. And he became an apostle, not just any apostle, but he became an apostle who was in charge of the money. He was trusted. He was considered one of the key leaders among the other disciples. He had the title. He had the position. But it was Mary who had the proper heart. 
You see, all the titles and all the positions don't amount to anything if our heart is not right. See, Judas, he knew the right thing to say, didn't he? What did he say when when he saw Mary pouring the oil on Jesus' feet? He said, why wasn't this ointment sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? I mean, that's a good Bible answer. I mean, we we often read the Bible and we talk about how Jesus even calls us to to do for the least of these and and to be generous and to give and we should care for the poor. And so Judas, Judas is just saying uh, what the Bible says. He's just quoting scripture back to the one, by the way, who wrote it. Thank you very much, Judas, for clearing that up for me. Judas knew the right things to say, but Mary's actions spoke louder than any words. And I'm reminded, as Judas is saying this, how careful we need to be with what we say. And not just with the words that we use, but the spirit in which we deliver them and our motivation behind saying them. You know, God said through the prophet Isaiah, he said, these people come near me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based merely on human rules that they've been taught. You know what that tells me? That tells me that we can come to worship week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, say all the right things, do all the right things, and still be far away from God. Judas did it. And so when we come, it's not our physical presence that brings glory to God. And it's not even necessarily the words that we say, but it's the condition of our heart. How's your heart as you come to worship today? Well, how have you been living your life throughout the week? Because what happens in corporate worship should be the overflow of our worship that happens Monday through Saturday. Because it makes a difference. Because genuine worship, worship that comes from the heart, is a beautiful, fragrant aroma. And people can see the difference. Can't you see the difference? Can't you notice the difference when somebody's heart is true and honorable? When their heart is driven out of love? And it becomes about something more than ritual. And it becomes about something more than routine. I mean, let's just be honest for just a moment. Not all of us came today with the desire to worship. Some of us came out of habit. Some of us came because somebody made us came or guilted us into coming. Some of us came because there was something we had to do or someone we had to see or something we had to say, something we had to get or something we had to give. There are all kinds of reasons why we come, but there's only one reason why the Lord wants you, and that's your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's what God desires from you. And everything else, everything else falls into place. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you, Jesus said. It's about our heart. Judas knew the right thing to say, but Mary's actions spoke louder than her words. Judas' words drew Jesus' correction. What did Jesus say to, 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 Jesus said to Judas, leave her alone. Judas' words drew Jesus' correction, but Mary's actions captured his heart. Judas' witness was going to end in just a few days when he would finally betray Jesus. And then shortly after that, he hung himself. 
Mary's witness continues 2,000 years after her life. See, authentic worship can be a powerful witness for people who are seeking the Savior. As, As you and I gather here on any given Sunday, there are people all around you who are here today, who who you passed in the halls, who you saw in the parking lot, who may be far away from God, but for whatever reason they came, they gathered here. And your worship, your genuine, sincere worship in this place, but also out of this place, in your workplaces and in the grocery store, your genuine worship is a witness to those people. So I want to just look at a few things that I think we learned from Mary about how our worship can be a witness. So our worship is a witness when, first of all, it rises above the noise of the crowd. It rises above the noise of society. You know, we live in an age where we're constantly being fed information. I mean, there is so much. There, there's just, you, somebody thinks something and they can put it on the internet and instantly the whole world can read it and know about it. And it just gets louder and louder and louder. And there's more and more distractions. But without a single word, Mary's actions cut through the noise and drew all the attention back to Jesus. And that's what our worship can do. I said earlier that not all of us gathered here for the purpose of worshiping. But even if you gathered here for another reason, I'm glad you came. I'm glad you're here. Because you and I need people like Mary to remind us why we gather here. And so whatever our purpose in gathering, we come here to remind one another about the importance of worshiping the Lord and honoring him with our hearts. And sometimes, sometimes I can read about that and I can be inspired through the word, but sometimes I need to see that in the flesh of people around me. Sometimes I need to see what that looks like in the sacrificial life and love and worship of people that I've gathered with in worship. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25, do not forsake meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. That it is important, Christians, that we gather in church to worship because our worship is a witness to the world. As the rest of the world looks at Sunday as a day off, we look at it as as a day to set aside to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus who makes all life possible. Do you know that in 2014, Christians, now this is a survey of Christians, people who say they're born again, believers in Jesus Christ, that the average worship attendance among that segment of society is less than twice a month. Less than twice a month. Now, this is not not a guilt trip to say, well, I need to go to church more often. But it does cause me to wonder what the world thinks. That if we truly believe that this God that we worship has done what he has done for us, if we truly believe these things, then shouldn't our worship be a priority? Shouldn't it be the most important thing that we do and not what we do when we have nothing else to do on a Sunday? I mean, the world needs to see churches that are filled with people who've gathered to pour their love out on their Savior. And when the world sees it, they take notice. They say, why do they do that? That's odd. That's different. I want to know more. See, as we gather here, 
And as people come in from the outside who are, who are seeking the Lord, they, maybe they're far away from him, maybe they don't even know who he is, but for whatever reason they come in, your act of worship in meeting them at the door and greeting them and handing them a bulletin and receiving their child in preschool and teaching their, their fifth grader Sunday school, your ministry to them as you greet them on a Sunday morning and extend the hand of friendship, do you know the power that you have to demonstrate the love of Christ because I believe this, that when we are so filled in, to, with, in love, with love for our Savior, it pours out of us onto the people around us. And it makes a difference. And so, listen, if you're here today and you are not a member, I'm not talking to you, okay, so you can tune me out. But if you're here today and you're a member of Southside Baptist Church, the minute you walk in this door, it is no longer about you. It's primarily about Jesus and your love for him then pours over onto the people around you. You have an obligation to extend a kind hand and a warm word to the stranger who's sitting around you. No matter what color their skin is, no matter what language they speak, no matter what they smell like. That your love for Jesus should be so great that it compels you to love the people who gather here for worship. And it makes a difference in the lives of people. It captures their attention. Our worship is a witness when it rises above the noise of the crowd, and it's also a witness when it is costly. I, I, I appreciate the fact that Judas contributed for us the, the value, the dollar value on this, on this uh, ointment that Mary poured out. He said it was 300 denarii. That was a whole year's worth of wages. Most scholars agree that this was Mary's dowry. She'd been saving this. Her parents had probably put it aside. She'd collected it. She'd saved it for years and years and years, waiting for that day when just the right guy would come along and she would have a future, be a wife, be a mother. It was the only secure life for a woman in that day. But what'd she do? She took it. She poured it out on Jesus' feet. It was extravagant. It was costly. It was sacrificial. Listen, Christians, that's what God's calling us to do. That, that you and I as believers, that, that we need to live simple lives so that other people can simply live. That we need to be radically generous because we serve and worship a radically generous God. And it takes people's breath away when they see it. She gave how much? She did what for him? He did what? That, that when you see somebody act in radical generosity, it captures your attention. This is exactly what Mary did. That she gave sacrificially. She gave completely everything that she had. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, that we're to let our light shine before other people so that they can see our good deeds and glorify their Father who's in heaven. I, I thought about that verse. You know, we don't really like that verse a lot because it's a tension a little bit with it, with something, Jesus, something else Jesus said, where he said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. But then he also said that our acts of service and our acts of kindness are a witness in the dark world. They shine a light. What Mary did through her generosity, what she did through her sacrifice, captured people's attention. You know, all year long in our 75th anniversary, we've been setting aside seasons to focus on things that we believe as a church are, are foundational, that have carried us for 75 years and will propel us into the future. 75, 75 hours in the Word, the Word of God. Right now we're in 75 days of prayer. We're going to end this year up with 75 days of generosity. 
And we're going to challenge everybody in Southside to be more generous in 75 days than you've ever been before. Because I believe it's a light that pierces the darkness and captures people's attention and imagination when they see sacrificial worship, when they see people truly giving all that they have for a God that has given everything for them. It rises above the noise of the crowd. It's costly, and it's also focused on Jesus. It's not about ourselves. It's not about the the whims and the cravings of the crowd or modern culture. It's only about Jesus Christ. I don't think Mary performed this act of worship in order to be a witness. I think she performed it for one person only, and that was Jesus Christ. But she was so focused on him that the people who saw it couldn't help but take notice of it. Do you know, church, we live in a culture where the number one uh, law The number one commandment is be thou politically correct. And it is politically correct to talk about God and a higher power and religion and faith. You can say that all day long. But the minute you speak the name of Jesus, you've made an important statement. You made an important statement about what it is that God has done to create a new life for people. How, what he's done to draw people back to himself. Salvation is found in no other name but the name of Jesus Christ. And our worship has to be more than about a higher power or a God or the Spirit. It has to be about the person of Jesus Christ to draw attention back to the Father. That's why Jesus came. We have to worship him. Don't be afraid to speak his name. You know, I, it, about 30 years ago, it became... Uh, popular in churches to talk about lifestyle evangelism and I love lifestyle evangelism I think it's important because honestly if you want to witness to people if your actions don't match your words then you're doing more harm than you are good but you have to use words see a bad definition of lifestyle evangelism is witnessing through our actions to avoid using words a good definition is is a person who lives life in a manner consistent with the message of Christ. That we have to be able to focus our lives on the person of Jesus Christ and not be afraid to say the name. And finally, our worship is a witness when it leaves a lasting impact. I've got a small vial of nard in my office. The same fragrance that Mary poured on Jesus' feet. And, and I, 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 I smelled it. It's, it's, a, it's a powerful smell just in this small vile people say that a pound of this would have created such a strong smell in the room that it would have lasted for days but do you know long after the smell faded the story remains doesn't it that mary's actions have left a lasting impact her worship made a difference for days and days and for an eternity for people who saw it that's what i want our worship to do I want our worship to make a difference, not just for one hour on a Sunday morning, but I want our worship to make a difference for eternity in the lives of the people who witness it. You know, we've been encouraging you over the course of this series, Beautiful Feet, to invest and invite in people. Invest in the lives of people that God has brought into your life who who may be far from the Lord. Maybe they're believers, but they've been out of church for a long time. Maybe they don't know anything about faith, but invest in them. And now we want you to invite them 
to come and join us for worship on Easter Sunday because our worship is a powerful witness to them of the God that we serve. So on Easter Sunday morning, the sunrise service at 6.30. Now, you have to be pretty hardcore to get up and come and worship at 6.30. I agree. But some of you are at an age where you're up at 5 o'clock in the morning anyway. <laughs> so, so you need to come on and bring them with you and worship at 6.30 with us. Or join us at 9.30 or 11. Invite somebody to come. Who have you invested in and who are you inviting to join you for worship? We're going to have a special workshop on Wednesday night, uh, April 30th, called Work as Worship. Because do you know that your, your opportunity to worship the Lord extends well beyond this place at this time? That what you do on your job site, what you do in your classroom, what you do in your civic organization that you serve is also an act of worship. And so we're going to have a special night where we focus on our work as worship. We've got a special guest coming in. I hope you'll come and you'll, you'll learn with us how we might see our entire lives as an act of worship that might be a witness to the Lord. And then finally, on, on Thursday, May the 1st, at 7 a.m., we're going to have uh, the National Day of Prayer Breakfast here at Southside. We're the only official site in the city of Jacksonville for a prayer breakfast on the National Day of Prayer. And we've got tickets available. We want you to invite your coworkers, invite people you work with to come and join you that morning. We'll get everybody out by 8 o'clock so they can get back to work. But I believe that when people see God's people genuinely worshiping with a heart that is focused on the Lord, it is a powerful, powerful witness for them. So we have to reach out. We have to invite people to come and see. Just like Philip said to Nathaniel, just come and see. The house was filled with people laughing and talking. The guest of honor sat quietly at the table enjoying the commotion, but he was slightly embarrassed to be the cause of so much fuss. He was a living, breathing miracle. And the crowd had gathered around him much like people gathered around a circus freak. The attention was uncomfortable, but the discomfort was overwhelmed by the gratitude he felt for another person who was sitting just across the table from him. He was the real attraction. He was the true guest of honor. It was, after all, this man that had made it all possible. If it had not been for him, this day of celebration would have just been another day of mourning. The women They were all busy preparing and serving guests because this was the biggest banquet this town had ever known. How do you thank someone for saving the life of your brother? No, it was, it really wasn't saving his life. It was something much more incredible than that. This miracle maker had been to this house before, and the lady of the house, she knew all his favorites. And she had spent days gathering the ingredients and preparing the food. This was her way of saying thank you. She'd recruited every woman she knew to help. And word had quickly spread. And curiosity seekers were coming by the dozens. The house was crowded with people. And given the size of the crowd, she could have used another pair of hands. Where was Mary? Mary wasn't much for the domestic scene. She preferred to be where the action was, and the action always seemed to be with him. She had sat at his feet many times before, listening to his words, wonderful words, words that could open the mind and had recently 
been proven to be able to open the tomb as well. While others argued, she listened. While others debated, she absorbed. While others sought to be heard, there was only one voice she wanted to hear. He had once rescued her. And now, he had saved her brother. And she loved him. Quietly, unnoticed, she got up and she left the room. If anyone saw her go, they probably assumed she was taking up her proper place with the other women. Martha could certainly have used the help. But she passed by the women and she went to this special place. She knew right where it was and she knew exactly what she was going to do. She had been saving it for years. A woman's dowry was her future. All her hopes and dreams of a family, the potential security of having a husband who would provide, the dream of having children, a legacy to carry on after she was gone. She had been saving for all these reasons for just the right time. But what else can you give to someone who's given everything to you? She slipped back into the room. She didn't think it was possible to fit any more people into the room. But when she returned, she noticed that the crowd had grown. She had to press herself up against the wall to make her way back to his feet. She had to get back to his feet. And the crowd was so loud, but she, she couldn't hear them. She barely saw them once her eyes met him. His eyes caught hers just as she knelt down at his feet. And for a moment, there was nobody else in the room. As she opened the vase, the strong aroma of the pure nard began to permeate the air. The noise level decreased as the aroma pushed the sounds out of the space that it would not share. Eyes turned toward the source of the smell. There was Mary emptying the final drops of the nard on Jesus' feet. And then she slowly took her hair down, revealing the long black locks that had never been seen in public before. This was getting embarrassing. She slowly began to wash his feet with her hair, and not a sound could be heard. The fragrance of her offering, the audacity of her actions made everyone uncomfortable. This was, this was inappropriate. Judas waited as long as he could. He waited for Jesus to stop her, to put an end to the spectacle. But Jesus, he didn't seem to mind. Could, could he actually be enjoying this? Surely one of the other disciples... Peter, John, James, somebody would intervene, but they just, they were frozen. They seemed unsure of, of what to do. It was, after all, Lazarus's responsibility to oversee the actions of his unmarried sister. But as Judas looked to Lazarus, he noticed that he was crying. Lazarus was unable or, or unwilling to call his sister out for her scandalous actions. Oh, he's probably still not well, Judas thought. It seemed that if something was going to be done, it would, uh, it would have to be him who did it. What to say? <laughs> there was so much wrong with this situation that one had to choose one's words very, very carefully. Oh, 
but as the financial officer of the group. It seemed appropriate to use this extravagant waste as the way to say something. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Judas' words cut through the silence like a knife. It must be more, worth more than a year's wages. It was worth so much more than that. It was worth a young woman's future. It was worth her hopes and her dreams. It was everything to her. Jesus' response was soft. He did not lift his eyes off of Mary. Leave her alone. It was intended she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Then he turned and looked directly at Judas. You will always have the poor. You won't always have me. His words seemed to hang in the air along with the fragrance of the perfume. Two fates were sealed that day. Mary would embrace her emptiness and count her future as loss that she might gain eternity with Christ. Judas held on to his future and followed it to the end of despair. Two people in the same place at the same time before the same Savior. Two very different responses. And I just ask you today, on the continuum between Judas and Mary, where are you? Who are you more like today? Is your heart so overwhelmed with the love of a Savior who gave everything to you that there's nothing you'd hold back from Him? Or, like Judas, are you simply depending on your status and your position and biblical truths that are taken out of context in order to prove yourself right in the moment. Judas and Mary, may we, Southside, may we be like Mary. May we be a group of people whose sacrificial, selfless love of our Savior cuts through the noise of our culture and our society, penetrates hearts that are darkened and hardened and leaves a lasting legacy that changes the future of those who witness our worship for all eternity. May it be true of us. And may it begin with me. And may it begin with you. Let's pray. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want you to take a moment and reflect. Not, I'm not asking you to reflect back long in your history, just back through this morning. Why did you come here today? What brought you here? Was it obligation? Was it routine? If it was, it's okay. I'm glad you came. Thank you.
But God wants something so much more from you. God has something so much greater for you. When, like Mary, you come to worship, focused solely on Him, with everything that you have and everything that you are laid down at His feet. Father, we come today, and as we look at the Scripture as a mirror that we hold up before ourselves, Lord, it it may be difficult for us to see ourselves in Mary. But Father, I believe that's what you desire of your church. It's what you desire of your followers. And for so many of us, we have such a long way to go to get there. But we thank you for your patience and for your love. And Lord, we ask that you might help us to love you with a love that pours out and flows over into the lives of the people that see us, that will hear about our witness. Father, for those who are here today who during self-examination just find that they fall short, Lord, I pray that today might be a change, that today they might be reminded of just what it is that Jesus has done for them and that that knowledge would motivate them to be selfless in their lives for him. Father, we ask you to meet us in this place of worship and to transform us into your likeness. And may our worship be a fragrant offering that glorifies and brings honor to the name of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray.